Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to be talking about a lot of volatile issues that are taking place around the world, especially the recent invasion of Ukraine by Russia. My guest today is an expert on these topics. Dr. Gregory O'Hall is the Associate Professor at the Patterson School of Diplomacy and International Commerce at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky, USA. Dr. Hall, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Greetings, Bill. It's great to be back with you on Global Connections Television. And thank you. I appreciate you being with me. We, no matter no matter what we say today about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it will be history by the time well by tomorrow or by the time this airs in a week or so. But we'll go forward and and talk about it anyway and see how it goes. Let me ask you, Greg. Let's go back a little bit on this. We've heard so many different versions of why. Putin invaded Russia. I was part of the group mistakenly who thought maybe he might just grab those two eastern provinces and be happy with that. But apparently it looks like he's not going to be. He's going to move forward and probably try to take over the whole country, at least destabilize the government so that Zelensky will have to flee and he can set up a puppet government. But what, what did you see as the, the causes or factors leading up to this invasion? Sure, uh, a, a blend of factors, and probably the key driver has been, uh, to be honest, the agency of Vladimir Putin. Uh, he's a different kind of leader. He's definitely different from his pre- his two uh, predecessors, uh, Boris Yeltsin and then Mikhail Gorbachev, and and. Clearly, um, you know, he's hearkening back to history, just about every speech, uh, pronouncements, the essays he's written, uh, he's authored, uh, you know, there, he's, he's looking back at history. Uh, and so he's, he's attempting to, uh, one, right some wrongs as he and his um, uh, supporters see it, but also to reestablish uh, something that was. And so it's the right blend of, uh, you know, the timing, uh, factors, actors, uh, and frankly, uh, a United States that uh, is not really together with one voice politically on this. And so he sees opportunity uh, to, to establish uh, what has been his vision for a very long time. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into that in a minute because this country, our country, is probably as divided or more divided to some mm-hmm. degree than probably since the Civil War in the 1860s. So we're going to get into that in just a moment. Uh, let me ask you there are two other factors, too, that you hear bannered around. Uh, one was that Putin, and probably justifiably so, felt that NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, was encircling Russia and that he really had no buffer between it or between him, his country and 
and the NATO countries or some of the NATO countries. And the other was there's a really a very worrisome rise of neo-Nazism mm. in Ukraine. And there's a rise of neo-Nazism in the United States, which we will get right. into in a moment too. But how, how important were those two factors? Oh, the, uh, Bill, they're extremely important. Uh, I looked back at an article that I had written in 1999, I think it was spring of that year, uh, uh, about NATO and its relationship with Russia. And I cautioned there, and this this didn't take, this, it wouldn't take an expert uh, to 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 realize this, that the day would come, the right set of circumstances, the right kind of leadership, uh, stridently nationalist, you know, that things would come together in a way that one of Boris Yeltsin's successors would would say, hey, enough of this NATO expansion, we really need to push back. I believe for Vladimir Putin, you know, they, uh, Russia stomached NATO expansion 1990s and beyond. But for him particularly, Ukraine and Georgia were red lines. And either on our side, we didn't appreciate that sufficiently, or we figured, well, we have the upper hand, we're more powerful, we can go ahead with this. Um, uh, and, and so uh, the, the NATO enlargement thing um, uh, pulls people into Putin's orbit who would not even be in his orbit, Russians. Uh, and, and so it's a, it, 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 it's a, it's a real driver. The, um, the, um, the, the, the second factor that you mentioned, and if you could restate that, I want to make sure I address that succinctly. Oh, with the neo-Nazism, the rise yes. of neo-Nazism. Yes. yes. Uh, it, it is, as you say, it's very chilling, uh, you know, and how these neo-Nazi sympathizers, it's a blend of far-right ideologies. They're talking to each other. They're engaged in social media. They support each other's public displays. And uh, Putin, in, in the essay he wrote last year uh, about the sort of the togetherness of Belarusians, Russians, and Ukrainians, he talks a lot about this. And so he's beating the drum of neo-Nazi uh, uh, ideology, beating the drum of uh, even uh, the prospect of a nuclear-armed Ukraine uh, as, a, as, as a scare tactic. And he, he used these factors quite well uh, to, um, in, in order to get people to go along with uh, what he's trying to accomplish in Ukraine. Now, the United Nations has come down solidly opposed to this intervention. According to the Secretary General of the UN, the, almost everybody at the UN, to be quite honest, it's a violation of territorial, and sovereign, uh, territorial integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine, regardless of how Putin views it. That doesn't matter. It's a fact that Certainly. Ukraine is internationally accepted as an independent country or independent republic. And so the question is, the United Nations can do some things, and there are a lot, there's so much negotiation going on behind the scenes at the UN, it's just mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we don't appreciate that, and we should. We saw it Indeed. during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the UN plays a vital role to get these characters, if you will, these players mm -hmm. together to try to defuse these problems. But what do you see as a role for the United Nations, uh, the Security Council, the General Assembly, and as some people have said, there have been war crimes committed, the International Criminal Court, which is not part of the United Nations, but, certainly. but was created by the United Nations. So what role do you see for them? Well, certainly, I, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's really tough to have any hope uh, 
or a productive role regarding the Security Council. That's the that's the big project for global security that we're going to have to somehow figure out going going forward. It seems like the, the more we get into the post Cold War period or the post post Cold War, whatever whatever you want to call it, we're missing opportunities and we're failing to be frank uh, to uh, to establish a workable mechanism or to reestablish something. That said. Uh, the the United Nations, particularly the General Assembly, and and I think other bodies, some of the specialized agencies, uh, that they they can really make a difference right now. Uh, one to use the bully pulpits that they have, but two to try to lessen this burgeoning uh, uh, civilian crisis. People that are now refugees in their in their own country, people that are that are fleeing, as we we we've seen images today of thousands of people huddled in a subway. They're in Kiev, uh, uh, not knowing what's next or what to do. And so uh, to, to focus uh, principally on the burgeoning humanitarian crisis, I think that that's the, the key thing the, UN, the uh, UN can do for now. And, and, and also keep pressing the great powers, the major powers, uh, regional powers to, to, to take this on. And of course, the UN can do that very well with the with the UN refugee agencies helping now over 80 exactly. million refugees, not counting the ones that'll be coming out of Ukraine. And exactly. of course, there are other United Nations agencies, the World Food Program, the UN Children's hmm. Fund, provide maternal and child health care, uh, the World Health Organization for health items. So the UN does have a broad array of agencies and programs that can be of assistance, but you hit on a, a really a critical one. That's with the Security Council. Mm. And of course, we saw that when the United Nations was created by the victors of World War II, who were the United States, the United Kingdom, France, China, and the old Soviet Union, they set it up to where those five victors had a permanent veto. They're permanent members of the UN Security Council, and any one of them can veto a resolution. Mm which has been very problematic over the years. We and know. The only way I can see around it, I've heard, and I'm sure you have too, dozens of proposals, maybe you need something to where those five will never give up their power, I don't believe. I, I just, I'm with you on that. I don't see that happening. But mm. you could have something where you have to have, say, three permanent members of the Security Council plus 50 plus 1% of the remainder of the the non-permanent members of the council to adopt a resolution or something. Do you think that's feasible? You know, we, it, it seems that it's, it takes crisis. It takes dire crisis to move us, the world community to action. Uh, I, I think it, uh, we, we need an even more engaged global public. Uh, I think all the way back to the breakup of Yugoslavia, that frankly was not handled well by the EU, uh, sort of UN and NATO stumbled into that. We look at the different interventions and it just issues regarding self-determination, recognition, peaceful resolution. You think of all the charter principles, it's, it's so uneven uh, the, the way we're applying. And maybe the, the, the world public with uh, uh, key players, uh, and, I, and I think of players throughout you know, the middle powers, those in the global south, the turkeys, et cetera, uh, that, uh, that, again, more pressure can be uh, brought to bear 
on that high tier, the, the P5, if, if, if you will. But wow, uh, it's going to be hard, as we well know, to get any movement uh, from them. I mean, it's, it's something, the history of the United Nations, in large part, is the history of the fights among the P5. <laughs> as, as a mere child back in the 80s, <laughs> which I'm kidding on that, that's when I started hearing about the debates. <laughs> on the security council and they're still going on and you understand i can understand why the permanent five don't want to relinquish their powers sure same token they have got to make certain changes to make the the security council more effective well Mm -hmm. you've got a book coming out in the spring titled examining u.s china russia foreign relations great power politics in a post-obama era what is the thrust of that book and what are some of the ideas in it that could have helped us during this crisis. Uh, well, interesting. This book is a follow-up to the 2014 study, the, the Strategic Triangle, which I've been kind of playing around with since the late 1990s. Uh, this idea of this sort of Nixon uh, instigated, uh, uh, you know, tri- triangular politics relationship with old Soviet Union and China, that it, it became an important mechanism in those latter years of the Cold War. And so the initial book basically takes that, uh, that strategic triangle concept and applies it in the sort of the latter years of the Cold War and the early post-Cold War years, if you will. And I found I, I have found that on many occasions there is almost an amazing level of coordination, collaboration, even among the the uh, the axes that don't get along well: U.S., Russia, U.S., China. Uh, and so, um, you know, I study this coordination, the the motives, different third actors like North Korea and Iran who go in and out of the triangular relationship, and this this forthcoming book. Uh, picks up on that um, strategic triangle concept into the uh, uh, second half of the Obama era to 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 the present time, and very interesting. What I what I find is that the domestic environments of the big three. I call them the big three. Uh, domestic issues more and more are tied up in this triangular politics. And so this, this has helped me to understand, you know, the, the evolution of Trump on the U.S. side, uh, Putin, Xi, if you will. And so this follow-up study focuses more on agency, focuses more on how the domestic dynamics in either environment gets tied up in their discourse and their diplomacy even, and there are many examples of that. And then of course, where this might uh, take us uh, moving forward. And uh, this, this Ukraine conflict, initially I classified or categorized it as a salient conflict, but it could be moving to what I consider critical level conflicts particularly as NATO more and more amasses more troops, more firepower, just, you know, in that eastern flank. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with the PBS or Community Access Television Station, perhaps a podcast or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you just have a computer, you like our shows, 
and you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at a, one of many major international issues, and that's the recent invasion of Ukraine by Russia to identify what were some of the causes and what can be done about this, as well as looking at a few other issues. My guest today is, a, is an expert on these topics. Dr. Gregory Hall is the Associate Professor at the Patterson School of Diplomacy and International Commerce at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky, USA. Dr. Hall, you were talking about this strategic triangle. Let's uh, spend a moment or two on that. You're talking about sure. Xi, the leader of China, Putin, leader of Russia, and the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. How did you see their interaction? Uh, we could probably write a whole book on oh, that. Oh, my. <laughs> but just in general terms, from, from 30,000 feet looking at them. Sure. Well, um, you know, uh, agency is agency, meaning the personalities, the preparation, the things that people bring, their attributes, the character, et cetera. Uh, you know, a lot of that is in place no matter what. But there's been, as the international global order has, has transitioned, it is in a transition towards, you know, a, a more sort of a, you know, a, a multiple powers, multiple players uh, in, in that regard. And that the U.S. in ways is, I say, plateauing as a great power, not necessarily receding, but plateauing. And of course, China uh, is right there on its heels. Uh, the, the opportunity for leaders and leaderships to play an even greater role to, to if you will, to shift the agenda, to take certain moves, uh, there, there will be more opportunity for it. And I'm seeing that in these interrelationships. And I, I consider Vladimir Putin, who came to power early 2000, Xi uh, over a decade later in China, and of course, uh, Donald Trump is being pivotal players in different, in different ways. They uh, are, if you will, they're, they're changing the game. Uh, and uh, they are they're having impacts that I think will will, will uh, still be um, significant even after they're gone. And it's interesting, uh, you know, the U.S. Russia relationship and Donald Trump, he, he gave that, if you will, a stamp, a, a contour uh, that we've never seen, frankly since there was a Soviet Union and, and since it's, it's collapsed. So these actors are having, uh, you know, a great impact. And uh, I, don't, I don't think that's really been fulfilled yet, uh, meaning that there's, there's more to come. 2020, uh, many of the foreign policy analysts felt that there was an imbalance there. She was very knowledgeable, dedicated, tough as nails, Putin, yeah. Putin the same way. Donald Trump didn't, he, he wasn't qualified or he didn't, he wasn't characterized that way. No. He was characterized as basically someone who was doing Putin's bidding. He was not that tough on China. He gave the impression he was, but he really wasn't. When you go back and look at what he did, uh, he had a bromance with the North Korean dictator. He talked about how they were in love and he would talk about how we've denuclearized the Korean Peninsula, which was not true. Talked about how we could rest at night without worrying about the North Korean nukes. And they were building nukes every day while they were duping him. And so he really, to a large degree, as 
based on a lot of the reporting, he actually was, was sort of a useful idiot for the, yeah. for the Russians and the Chinese. How, how do you perceive that? Uh, he, he almost, you could argue, that he helped weaken this country. He certainly did. I mean, he put more money into defense, but when you're losing allies, you're trying to destroy your, your NATO uh, allies there, you're not strengthening the country, you're weakening it. It's, it's hard to argue uh, against that assertion, Bill. Um, uh, some time perhaps was lost in preparing for this eventual uh, sort of retaking or the total takeover of Ukraine. Uh, ground was lost on uh, settling, uh, reestablishing, uh, if you will, a better trade relationship with China, or at least some understandings. And I think overall time was lost um, on issues that um, are of import to us all, arms control and nonproliferation. Uh, time was lost. Now, Trump had an interesting proposal uh, about uh, re regarding uh, China becoming a part of these deliberations on arms control. Um, and that, uh, you know, rather than just renewing INF, the Intermediate Nuclear Range uh, Forces uh, uh, Treaty that was lost, that there should be something negotiated with China. Of course, China's on the record. Well, we're not interested in that. That doesn't help us. But I think we lost some time. And Trump was a consequential president. Uh, uh, even with those missteps and, and uh, problematic areas that you, that you lay out, there's so many. But he was consequential. And, and uh, clearly, I think that uh, that has made uh, Joe Biden's uh, charge and the weight that he has to carry in this situation, you know, all the heavier. And of course, when Trump went out of office, the polls showed that the prestige of the United States had dropped dramatically oh, from yeah. in some places 70, 80 percent down to 20 percent. Amazing. He, really and it was driven mostly by him but that brings up an interesting point a lot of people give biden they criticize him on one hand but they give him credit on the other on masterfully pulling together the nato allies which is no small task no small task. anybody who's dealt with with more than two people or two countries i guess would hmm. say they've given him credit on alerting the american public and the world as to what putin was thinking a lot of people were skeptical at first they thought it's well Putin's really not going to do this. Biden's overreacting. Come to find out he wasn't overreacting. He wasn't. <laughs> and he has incorporated the sanctions. But you've got a situation now where you almost have a group in this country that are actually rooting and cheering for Vladimir Putin. And well, just the other day, Donald Trump came out and said that Putin was very savvy and mm. a genius at this mm. intervention. That's hardly what you want to hear a former president say when your country is trying to prop up a country defending itself. And then that carries over to what now has become right wing extremist. They're not even news operations anymore. There's right wing extremist propagandists, uh, Fox, One American mm. News, uh, folks like really? Breitbart, uh, Infowars. Mm. They, they, the stuff that they're putting out today is just absolutely absurd. I've, have you listened to any of it or do you listen or do you get feedback on this? It's almost like they're running a counter campaign against yeah. the United States and, and our allies and the majority of the world. I get people, uh, 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 
commentary, uh, feedback all the time. People are, are puzzled. Uh, people are dismayed. There's a lot of dismay. And, 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 and more than a few of us realize this doesn't help the cause, so to speak, and that the, the, the cause of sovereignty, the cause for, you know, uh, you know, standing on the, the UN charter principles that this, this doesn't help the situation. And uh, should the, somehow this turn into a sort of a direct military campaign involving the U.S.? And who knows, it could. It's on the doorstep of the, the eastern flank of NATO. You know, how, you know, how does Congress stand together? Uh, to support uh, a, a greater effort, whatever that would look like, um, if you if you have all this going on in the media, it's it's terribly troubling, and it's led by a former president. And clearly, the historians are going to have a lot to grapple with and parse when it when it comes to that. This is led by a former president. It's 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 it's, it's hard to have words. It's almost inconceivable. You're right. Exactly. It's unbelievable. And yeah. You know, even some prominent Republicans years ago were questioning uh, what did Putin have on Donald Trump? Was he blackmailing him yeah. on the Putin's payroll? And those questions have never been answered, but we're certainly seeing a lot of visible yeah. action on his part and a part of the media group that support him, at least for the moment, they support him. But Dr. Hall, this has been a fascinating conversation. And we there are so mm -hmm. many other issues we could talk about, the Iran-Nuclear yes. deal. <laughs> Taiwan, climate change, but we'll have so to many. on that <laughs> right, for another day. But I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you, Bill. Great to be with you always. <laughs> thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.